You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. So I'm super excited about today. We are wrapping up this whole leveling up series, and I thought that drama was perfect because now a little exaggerated, but the truth is we all get offended over different things, and the offense always comes from the same place. It comes from our own insecurities, which we all have, unlike the uh, chiseled Michelangelo, we all have some insecurities and where those insecurities are that leaves room for offense that's the place where we're always thinking oh my gosh I bet they're thinking this about me I bet they're saying that about me and so leveling up today I want to look at what if we had the ability to see ourselves and to see other people the way Jesus did and this is what I mean by that have you ever wondered how Jesus could encounter the adulterous woman okay who literally was drugged out of the bed in the middle of the act, thrown at the feet of Jesus by the religious leaders who demanded she be judged and punished on the spot for what she was caught red-handed doing. And yet Jesus didn't even address it. Jesus didn't address what she was doing until he had dealt with every single one of those men that drug her out of that bed. Somehow he was able to see beyond her behavior, even though she was right in the middle of that behavior when she was placed at the feet of Jesus. Or how about this one? This one is the most perplexing to me. You have a group of people who have just beat you literally to where the Bible says you're not even recognizable as a man. You're you're almost dead. They're laying you on a cross. They're pounding nails, spikes through your hands and feet. And what you cry out to God on their behalf is, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Who can do that? How do you do that? How do you get that kind of vision and that kind of sight? Well, that's what I want to talk about today is if we could level up to the place to where we see ourselves the way God sees us, where we see others the way God sees them, exactly what Jesus did, somehow he saw beyond to something beyond this realm of existence that we have here. That would just help in so many ways. And so to do that, I've got a parable. You know, Jesus used to tell parables. Parables, just a story. But Jesus would tell these stories to help people understand things about the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, his always centered predominantly around agriculture because Israel was an agricultural society. So he told a lot of parables about sowing and reaping and planting and tilling the ground and and trees and how they grow and, and all pruning, all these different things that could help them understand, okay, so that is how God functions and operates. This morning, I have for you a parable tailored to the low country. In honor of the warmer weather, in honor of what we're all looking forward to do, I know we're all looking forward to getting down to the beach, in honor of just iconic low country, I present to you the parable of the Arthur Ravenel Jr. Bridge. I mean, look at that. That is a work of art, is it not? Do you ever get inspired when you drive over that bridge? I mean, that my wife loves to drive over that bridge. How many of you get your phones out and you take a video while you're driving? Not, you know, not when you're driving. You're in the passenger seat because somebody else is driving. But how many people love to take a video? When you go over it, it's just awe-inspiring. I mean, it really is. It's a work of art. It's a bridge, yes. 
But it's a work of art and the creativity, the vision for somebody to see that and then the engineering that is behind it, it is just absolutely magnificent. And can I say to you that this represents your life as God sees it. This is your undiminished, unopposed, unblemished, undamaged life. So when Jesus was looking at the adulterous woman, he saw the real her that God had created. When Jesus was encountering the men that were nailing him to the cross, he saw the real men as God created them to be. That's why he could say, Father, forgive them, because he knew, he said, they, they, Father, they don't know what they're doing. They're caught up in something. They don't understand what it is, so please forgive them. And for you and I, this is the vision that God has for our life. And that life is not just here on earth. It's the life that waits for us at the end of this place where we're living right now. So the key the perspective to getting the perspective like Jesus has is to be able to see like he did. And so now we have to kind of, we're going to reverse engineer. Y'all have heard that? That's a big term now, reverse engineering. You know, so like if a military helicopter gets shot down over in a foreign country, they blow it up. Why? Because if that country gets a hold of it, and it's something they don't have yet, they can reverse engineer it and figure out how to make it. So we're going to reverse engineer the life that God intended for us to have. So we're going to take our Arthur Ravenel bridge, and we're going to go back to the day, the moment we're first born on this planet. <laughs> Boom. Grace Memorial. Anybody remember that puppy? Oh, yeah. Anybody ever drive over that? Yes, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to Christianity because everybody prayed when they drove over that bridge. <laughs> Fun fact, I did not know this. One of our security guys told me after the first service, back in the day, Charleston County and the city of Charleston police departments stationed officers at the foot on both sides of the bridge. Why? Because elderly people would approach the bridge, people that lived here and people to be visiting from out of town, they would see it and they would not drive over it. So it was literally a duty of the police to drive their cars over for them to the other side of the bridge. That's how scary that sucker was. That's two lanes of terror right there. How many, now hey, those cars are going the same direction. How many of y'all remember the two-way? When it was one, yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to really flip your wigs, man. 16 years old, I'm a school bus driver. Yes, back in the day. In Goose Creek, that's how we rolled. 16-year-old, you drive a school bus. We took a field trip to Mount Pleasant. I drove a school bus over that thing. You want to talk about every car you pass, you did this, like that. Because you know, I'm either going to hit the rail or I'm going to hit the car in the other lane. What did, somehow none of that ever happened. I don't know how. It was just an absolute miracle. But when I think about our life here on this earth, and again, we're in a parable, right? This isn't, we're, just, we're just drawing an analogy. We've got this life that God intends for us, that he's designed for us. He's put it in us. It's in our DNA. It's in the, the dreams and the desires that are in our heart. And it's this big, massive thing that you and I could never even possibly fathom or imagine. But when we come to this planet, we come to this planet, and it looks like this. So the author Ravenel is, is diminished down to this shadowy, dark-looking picture. And there's two reasons for that. One is that on our part, there's a lack of understanding of what's going on. This is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He said, for now, we see only a reflection. Some other translations say we see only dimly. We see only shadows. In other words, we don't see clearly as in a mirror. Then, 
So catch what he's saying. Right now, where we are now, we see only a reflection, a dim, shadowy image. But then we shall see face to face. The then is the end of the story. The, the, the then is close the Bible because we've hit the end of Revelation. It's all done. All evil is done away with. All sickness, disease, shame, pain, suffering is all gone. And now we all are fulfilling that original vision that God created for us. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So the first thing that works against us, because there's, there's probably some of you in this room that you're trying to make sense. I know I was for the first 25 years of my life. Anytime somebody would mention God or, or Jesus or that God loves everybody or that God's in control and all of that, that did not make sense to me. How can you tell me God loves everybody's in control and I've got three of my own close personal friends who dr died drinking and driving. Now, I get you can say, hey, that's their fault. They, and they did. They chose to do that. But again, you just got finished telling me God loves everybody fully in control. How do I blend those two? We can't really blend those two until we fully start understanding what's going on. So even the greatest theologian, even the most intense Bible scholar you know that knows the word of God inside and out according to this scripture still can only know what's going on here in part. We don't have the full knowledge and understanding of what's really going on like God does. We don't have the view of the perspective that he does. So that's the first thing that's working against us. The second thing is we have a spiritual enemy. John 10.10, 10, the first part of the verse says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And in the next verse, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion doing what? Looking for someone to devour. So, so catch how this works. This, this world has fallen. This world is broken. That happened in Genesis 1. And now, just like the enemy would do, we're hamstrung, so to speak, because we can't see clearly. It's like being in a dark, shadowy place, and we're just trying to, to live life and put one foot in front of the other. We're trying to survive. And now we have an enemy who is ancient, who is sharp, who knows how to take people out, and now he is pursuing us. And he is after us to take us out. His goal is steal, kill, and destroy. So when you and I are born into this world, we're born into a broken world that is merely a dim, shadowy resemblance of what God originally created. Creation is broken. We're broken. All people are broken. And on top of that, we have an enemy that's trying to take advantage of the fact that we don't know what's going on. But God doesn't leave us there. God's got an answer for that. The best way I know to describe this second part of the parable is I'm going to have to go back to my days of watching the WWF. You know the biggest shocker I have is that that's still around. And some of you are still watching it. I got to go back to the glory days. The Ric Flair, Nature Boy, you know. I gotta, I gotta, yeah, there you go. I got to go back there. Because the analogy really works. Because if you remember in professional wrestling, professional wrestling, professional wrestling, you had the tag team match, right? Well, when you had the tag team match, you got the good guys versus the bad guys. And typically, you got one strong good guy and a little weak no-name that's trying to get his name in life, and one strong uh, 
what I say, bad guy and good guy. So you got a strong guy on both sides, a no-name on both sides, so they're fighting. Well, there's rules to the fight, right? And the rules are only one person from the opposing team can be in the, in the ring at any, one, any given time. So if you tag your partner, they can come in, but then you immediately got to get out. Well, the bad guys never honor that, ever. So what always happened was the little scrawny guy finds himself in the corner, and then the dude, the one mean dude, tags in the other mean dude, and now they're both in there, and they're pummeling, and they're giving their knee in them. They're coming off the road, bam, body slam, and he's trying to get to his partner, and his partner's in the corner, rule follower. I can't jump in. It's against the law. It's against the rules, but he's got his hand stretched out. His hand is stretched. He's reaching, and this guy is crawling, and he's reaching, and the men are pummeling, and they're kicking him, and they're stomping a metal chair to the head and the hands are getting closer and you're on your feet you're in the living room you're on that tv you're like, come on man come on man and then all of a sudden the fingertips touch and the other good guy comes screaming in and the two bad guys bail out one goes underneath the ropes the other one trips and falls and he's like oh oh no 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 <laughs> That did not happen first service. Oh my gosh. Ugh. That is the best way I know to describe what happens when you ask Christ to come into your life. Because your whole life, for me, 25 years, I was in the corner. I was getting the snot beat out of me. I couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. Nothing in my life was working. And it just... You know, you just find yourself saying, oh, I'm out of breath. You find yourself saying, there's got to be more to life than this. And then if you ever start thinking like far future for somebody like me, and you start thinking about family and kids, you're like, man, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with something like that. And then if you go beyond that, if you go beyond the whole death question, I had no answers. But the moment, <laughs> thank you, Brother Dave. Oh, Never, yeah, that's good. Yeah, go on, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> but the moment that you ask Christ to come into your life, man, he comes screaming into the ring. And here's the thing. That is a true picture that Christ is always in that. He has always got his hand reached out to you always. He never sits back. He never sits back and says, hey, I hope you make it over here. If you make it over here, I can tag you. Man, he's chasing you all around the ring. Where he, doesn't, he doesn't stay in his corner, Okay. He, go, he stays outside the ring because you've got to stay outside the ring. But wherever you're at, he's as close as he can, and he is reaching, reaching, reaching. He can't violate your free will, right? I mean, God can do whatever God wants to do, but the one thing he'll never do is violate your free will, ever, ever. Because he, he himself has said he can't do that. He himself has said everything that happens on this planet is going to happen through the people that I've created. So the good that happens and the bad that happens. The bad that people do is influenced by bad, wicked, and evil spirits. The good that people do is influenced by the Spirit of God. But he'll never violate your free will. So until you say, yes, you can work in my life, he's kind of his hands are kind of tied. But the moment, the moment you say yes, he comes screaming into the ring. And I promise you, all them evil, wicked forces, they do scatter. They do run because they can't stand up against a king. He is, he is the true king. 
So now we got saved. So now, boom, Silas Pierman Bridge. So, and that's an upgrade, right? I mean, do y'all remember when they built that bridge? Man, we thought we had arrived. <laughs> city of Mount Pleasant, city of Charleston, we are going places and doing things. We got a four-lane bridge going across that river. The Cooper and the Wando. I mean, that was just, I just remember how awesome that was. Because like, now you got four lanes, four big lanes, by the way. Probably one of the Silas Pierman lanes was as big as two of the Grace Memorial. I mean, it was just such an upgrade. And that's what happens in our life. When we accept Christ, it is an immediate upgrade. Immediately, you level up. Because now you've got a force on your side that nothing in this world can stand against. Now, it's a journey. You haven't arrived. You're not done and you still might have a lot of questions like, man, I, I still am not sure what in the world's going on. Of course you do. Because all of us have those kinds of questions. And this is a journey. It's not about making the decision one time and immediately you're there. It's about making that decision, getting God on your side, in your corner, and now beginning this journey of growing with God. Here's a couple of verses that reinforce this picture. The first one is the second part of that John 10.10 10 verse where Jesus says, yes, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. So that's very important for us to understand, because again, that enemy that we have, the one who prowls about like a roaring lion, he wants to convince you that you're still that bridge on the right. He really wants you to buy into that's all your life is ever going to be and it's never going to get any better. He does not just sit back and allow you to enter into this new life that God has for you unopposed. He still opposes you. He can do nothing about your salvation. He cannot undo that. He's powerless to undo that. But if he can take every Christian who honestly God has transformed them into something new and different but convince them that they're not, then he's just rendered that person ineffective for God's kingdom and so in a, to a degree for a period of time he wins but God wants us to be on this journey of discovering who we are and what it is he's called us to do and Paul had this same kind of transformation the man we've been we've been reading several scriptures that he wrote Paul was a man who wrote a lot of the New Testament he was a man back in Jesus's day that set the world on fire with the church the the disciples who walked with Jesus who were on earth with Jesus most of them were locked down in Jerusalem and the surrounding area with the Roman government putting so much pressure on them, the church really couldn't grow or expand. And so God gets a hold of this man named Paul. And Paul was one of the oppressors of the church. And he was literally on his way to a town to round up followers of Jesus to have them arrested. And some of them would be arrested and, and spend X amount of time in jail. Some of them would be executed. That's what he was doing, and he was zealous about it. And he was on that mission when God literally knocked him off of his horse. He had an experience with God that radically changed his life. He heard the audible voice of God saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the whole time, Paul thought he was on God's side. And all of a sudden, he finds out he's not. But God says, Paul, I am who I am. And Jesus Christ is my son. And those that follow him, they are my children. And Paul has this radical transformation. I mean radical. As zealous as he was about persecuting the church, 
Now he was just as zealous about getting the word out. And God had something for Paul to do here while he was here on this earth. And God knew he was going to use Paul to just set the world on fire with the church all through the Asian countries. And the way he did that was he showed Paul a vision of heaven. Not, we don't know if it was a vision or if he was literally there because Paul himself said, I know a man, talking about himself. He said, whether in my body or out of my body, I don't know. All I know is I was there. And he was in heaven, and he saw what is to come. He saw the age to come that every single person that puts their faith in Christ is going to experience. He saw that. We don't know a lot about what it looked like from him because he said he wasn't, he wasn't permitted to utter the words, but we can read a lot of what he wrote about and get his perspective because Paul's perspective changed from not just going from this, this upgraded version of a bridge he went to this version where he saw everything at once. So now he's seen that Arthur Ravenel. He's seen what's to come. And so now all of his writings, you see Paul saying things like, I'm not where I was. God rescued me. He saved me. So now I'm in God's hand. I'm doing work for him. But I'm not yet there. But that's what I'm striving for. So let me read these scriptures for you in light of what Paul was seeing there. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. In other words, the enemy is always going to try to keep you focused on the things in this world and what's happening around you. He's saying, look, you've got to look beyond the news. You've got to look beyond what friends are telling you. you you've got to find a way to supernaturally hear what I'm saying from heaven. Because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. Because you died. The old you died. The old you that was here. The old Grace Memorial Bridge you, it died. And now the new you, the new life, the Arthur Ravenel life that you're going to have is hidden in Christ. I love that. The Bible says, Jesus himself said this when he's praying to the Father. He said, Father, I thank you for those that you have given me. And I thank you that I have everyone you've given me in my hand and nothing can take them out of my hand. And when I read this verse where it says your new life is hidden in Christ, it's like I see his open hand that he's got you the moment you accept him. He takes his other hand and he says, now I got you. And we're going to walk through this earth together. And then one day you're going to close your eyes here and you're going to open your eyes and freedom freedom like you've never imagined, but your new life is hidden with Christ. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers and sitters, oh, sitters. Brothers and sisters, whew, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, Paul's like, that's what I'm always looking towards. I'm always looking towards that. I've seen it. I know what it looks like, and I'm just asking you to believe me. You've got to believe me. It is beyond anything you could ever imagine. I can't even... Our language won't describe it to you. I helped a, a gentleman in our church write a book about his story. He was, back in the 70s, struck by lightning and died and went to heaven. He was dead for 30, 23 minutes or 32. I always get those numbers backwards. Anyway, he was dead. Dead. My wife went through his medical records and was just absolutely blown away. Paramedics were working on him. No pulse, no breathing, no anything. And when I was trying to get him to describe to me what he said, he would talk to me. He would describe it. 
But then he would say, these words don't describe it, Eddie. He said, our language, our language cannot describe He said, when I tell you that the trees and the grass are green and the water is blue, he said, it's not what you're picturing. He said, our green and our, it's not, it's not the same. He said, this world is so dingy and dirty and grungy compared to what paradise is. He said, you can't, you can't imagine. I cannot put it into words. And he would try so hard to describe it. But Paul says, I haven't considered myself yet to take hold of it. But the one thing I do is I forget what is behind me. So the offenses, the struggles, the trials, the arguments, all the things that kind of, they get us tied up and wrapped up and distract us. I forget all of that. I keep my eyes focused ahead and I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 18 through 21. One of my favorite verses. I love this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That glory is that, is that revealed life that God has for you. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what that verse is saying is in the same way that there is a life that God has for you and me, it is a life in eternity that is abundantly above and beyond anything that you could ever imagine. Creation is the same. So not only are we fallen, this creation has fallen. And the most beautiful oasis on this earth that you could ever imagine looks like a dirty rag compared to the creation that waits us in heaven. And it's the same. It's not a different. We're talking trees. We're talking animals. We're talking people. You don't become some disembodied spirit floating around in some spiritual place, and you certainly don't become some chubby little kid playing a harp. It's not how it works. More on that later. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. What is that hope? Our hope is that this world is not where we belong, that this world is perishing, it's going away, and there's a future that God has for us that does not have evil in it. There's a future that God has for us that does not have pain and it does not have suffering because the source of all of that, God will remove away for all eternity. That's the hope that we profess. For he who promised, which is God, is faithful. And let us consider... So important. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as summer is in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So with that verse in mind, with keeping in mind that the two things that, that really fight us understanding what's going on is that lack of knowledge, that lack of being able to see clearly exactly what's happening, and the fact that we have an evil force that is set against us, then that lets us know that there's two things we need to do in opposition to that. So our mission, if you could say it this way, the two things that come out of that Hebrews verse is number one is for us to continue growing towards God's design for us. God really does want to give you a picture of that life that he has for you. And this is what I'm hoping that we'll all begin to understand is that life that God has for you is not so different from what you're experiencing right now in terms of who you are. Sometimes I'll be talking to people and be like, well, I don't know what I'm going to be like in heaven. Am I going to look different? Am I going to say? No, no. The things that are in your heart here and now, God is using, those are tied to the DNA of who he created you to be. 
And so the who you are there is not much different than the who you are here. Just think of the who you are there as the good you when you are on your best day. When you're on your best behavior and your wife and kids really love you and you're just doing great. Imagine that times a gajillion. That's going to be you. And that's going to be everybody around you. That's going to be the relationships that you have. And it's going to be all the animals. Gosh, so cool. I, for sure, dogs, cats, I'm not sure yet, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My wife's giving me the stank eye because my son's got this adorable little one-eyed cat that loves me for some reason. I think it's because I try to ignore it, and then it just it gets all up in my face all over me. All right, so continue growing. So that's why we keep gathering together because when we gather together like this, A, it helps with that lack of understanding because we get into God's Word, and God's Word illuminates for us. Oh, that's right, it. You know, I, I got bogged down in everything that's going on in my life right now. I, I lost sight. We all do that. We all do that. Right now, Dave's in a place where for the past couple of weeks, he's needed people to surround him because he, he doesn't need to be trying to figure out anything. He just needs to be able to put one foot in front of the other. And he needs people that will surround him and not let him fall down and not let him trip or stumble. And for sure, make sure you're watching out for the enemy who's always prowling around like a roaring lion. That's why we can't do life alone. And it helps us remember that we have that evil enemy. And it helps us strengthen one another. So these times of gathering in church is for encouraging, it's for strengthening, it's for understanding. That's the first thing is to continue growing towards that vision God has for us. The second thing is to help others discover this good news. And basically what I've just described to you is the Great Commission. It's making disciples. It's letting people know, man, I get that you don't know why your life is a mess because you don't understand there's a force behind that mess of a life that you had. It's not all on you. Man, there's something working against you, supernatural. And man, Jesus is at the ropes with his hand reached out. If you'll just tag him in, man, I promise you, he will come in and start fighting for you. But we have to help people see that. So with all of that, that, whole, that concludes the parable. Of the Arthur Ravenel Bridge. I love that because now you're not going to see that bridge the same again. But I do want to give you some practical examples of that. So I'm going to ask Terry Elder if he would come up. Terry's been sitting on the front row. Y'all thought he was security, but he's not. He's coming up here to do an interview. So um, Terry and his wife Angie are part of a group called Married for Life. And they're taking a whole group of couples here at the church through this uh, course. And it is phenomenal but the reason I asked Terry to do this interview was the first time I met him uh, was in Bo and Alice Reeves marriage class and we were talking and he was sort of sharing his journey with me and he made this statement that I've heard so many times and and it just rang with me he said yeah you know there was a period of time in my marriage where my attitude was hey you married me and this is the way I am you knew what you was getting so deal with it so so Terry you made that statement and you were a Christian right correct yeah, so no, you're not the Grace Memorial Bridge, man. You're, hey, you're Silas Pierman, baby. <laughs> Silas Pierman got Jesus in the heart, and you still said that. But then what followed that was even better. He said, then I found out I couldn't do that. Tell him about that. So, um, yeah, like Pastor Eddie said, you know, early in my marriage, my wife would point out a lot of things about me, a lot of negative things, right? Um, and, you know, my viewpoint was, hey, that's the person that was standing in front of you when you said, I do, right? I mean, you know, I asked you to marry me. We'd been dating for five years. You could have said no. Like, you knew who I was, <laughs> but, you know? 
but you didn't. You know, so I think so it's not a good idea to marry somebody with intentions of changing who they are, right? So she would always point these things out, and I, you know, I couldn't hear it from her. You know, I'd, we'd argue about it. I'd blow it off or whatever. But Wait a minute. Pause. Pause, pause, pause. That's an incredible teaching moment. I've, I missed it first service. So for every married woman in here, you're saying that when they continually point out their shortcomings and pitfalls of their husband, their husbands are not hearing the voice of the Lord when they say that. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. I just cleared that up. That's why I cleared that up. And, and the reason is, I mean, when our spouses say things like that, like we feel criticized, we feel like we're not good enough, so we become defensive. So we can't hear anything because now we're on the defense. But when we're taking Married for Life, um, one of the lessons deals with generational patterns. And it was during that lesson, that week, when we were doing the homework, like the Holy Spirit started revealing things about me, right? And a lot of those things were the same things that she was pointing out that I couldn't hear from her. But... <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so you know, I could, I could argue with her about those things. I could deny them. But when the Holy Spirit points it out to you, are you really going to argue with God? Right? And so it was that point that I, could, I had to accept that these things are issues that I need to fix. Um, you know, and part of that is, you know, being a Christian, part of that is being surrendered to the Lord, 100% surrendered to the Lord. And so, you know, you can't take the stance that who I am today is who I'm going to be forever if you're surrendered to God, right? Because part of that is God is going to change you, right? He's going to mold you forever as long as you're on this earth. I mean, he's going to weed out the things of you that don't look like him and replace them with things that do look like him. So your life should change on a daily basis. And so, like I shared earlier, you know, we would be married to be 18 years in May. And <laughs> thank you. And the guy she married 18 years ago is not the guy that's standing on the stage today, right? Amen. The guy who came to South Carolina with her five years ago is not the guy that's standing on the stage today. Five years from now, there's going to be a different guy if I'm up here again. Um, so ironically, it's, you know, Eddie, Pastor Eddie talked about me coming up here today and sharing this and what he was going to preach about today. Um, he's talking about vision. Ironically, our lesson today for our class is all about faith vision. And it's basically about seeing your spouse the way that God sees your spouse, not the way you see them today. So Glory. <laughs> Glory. Yeah, we didn't know that. We did not coordinate that, plan that. So that was just a God thing. So Terry, so, so you can identify with this, the whole idea that, yeah, you're not where you were. You're saved, but you're not yet what you're going to be. But there's a growth process that happens there, and it's a continual journey. Just like you just said, and, and I love how you were sharing some stories of, you know, some of the other couples, but your journey, you and your wife's journey of becoming leaders in this ministry, and now your vision for raising up other people. How many of y'all are excited that they, how many couples are in that group? Uh, it's four this time. They've yep. got four couples in that group, and they're putting this kind of stuff into them, and rising up the value of marriage, of godly husbands, godly wives, godly parents. Yes. So on behalf of our church, Terry, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for saying yeah. yes to God. Thank you. <laughs> so a couple more examples. So, so I'm, I'm hoping you're drawing that picture that, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the vision for our life, and we're trying to get to where we can see ourselves and see others the way that God sees us and sees others 
Because when the Bible says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, that's absolutely the truth. There, 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 there are wicked, evil forces at work in this earth that are always working to divide us and to separate us and to isolate us. And so I don't care if it's about the politics or the pandemic or whatever it is. Everybody's free to have their own views, but it cannot violate people. You can't violate a person, somebody, because every person on the face of this planet is created by God and has a plan and has a purpose. God has a purpose for their life. Just this week, I received an email um, from a mother who had a daughter who um, they went through a very messy divorce. And because of just the, the way the divorce worked out, the daughter got angry with the mom and just, and just walked away. Walked away from the mom. She was a Christian. She was a believer. But she got angry with her mom and said, I'm done, and walked away. And her mom never gave up on her. Her mom didn't get angry back at her. Her mom knew there's something else going on here. So her mom just kept loving her. Her mom even bought her Christmas presents every year, put them by the door, just in case she showed up. Well, that daughter was in a horrendous traffic accident last week. Broke a lot of bones, compound fractures, broken hip. And this is, this is a young girl. I, forget, I think she's 22, 23 years old. You know who the first person she wanted up there? Mom. And I, you know who the first person was there was mom. She was right there. And she was so scared. She said, Mom, I was so scared because I didn't know if I was going to make it. And I, if I didn't make it, I knew where I was going. I knew I was going to heaven. But all of a sudden, I realized I've let all of this junk get in between of me and you. And I can't let anything get between us because you're my mom. And I'm your daughter. And, and, and we used to have this thing that was so special. And I just let bitterness and anger get in there and drive us apart. And so that revelation, for her to get her daughter back, for the daughter to get her mom back, and they've spent all week together, she sent me a picture of her, and Lord of mercy, I couldn't show it to you, because she's got, she's got casts everywhere, and like arms stuck out this way and this way, but as broken and battered as that body is, you know what she's got on her face? The biggest smile that you could possibly imagine with her mom sitting right there next to her. Another revelation I had doing this for me personally was I remembered my relationship with my grandfather on my mother's side. Um, when I was a little boy and I would go visit my grandfather, the memories that I have are probably between the ages of 7 and 10. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that my grandfather did not like me. And the way I knew that was I never visited my grandfather without my cousin, who was the same age. And my grandfather loved my cousin. And so it was very easy for me to see what was going on there. And you know, I'm a kid. I don't know what's going on. I'm sure it probably has something to do with family drama and my mom, whatever. All I knew as a kid was this is granddad. You know, this is the man who's supposed to love you no matter what. And he didn't love me. And so what that does to a kid is it makes you angry. Makes you very angry. And you hold on to stuff like that. And I remember being 18 years old when my grandfather passed away and my mom called me and she said, uh, Papa's funeral is such and such a time. You know, I was going to see if you could drive me up there what time you want to leave. I said, you got to go up there by yourself because I ain't going. And that's a hurtful thing to say. It's, that's a hateful thing to say. But that's what was in my heart. A lot of hate. 
and a lot of hurt. I didn't know Jesus. This is pre-Jesus. This is before Jesus said, yeah, I didn't know forgiveness and all that. All I knew was this was my opportunity to get back at him for everything that he had done to me. And so that's what I did. But in putting this message together, I realized that's not who my granddad is. Like my granddad believed in Jesus. Believe it or not, he was a Jesus follower. You know, he, that, that proves the point that Pastor Mike said, if you ever go to Growth Track, you're going to hear this story, that there are some people who can have Jesus in their heart and be crazy as an orangutan. And that was my grandfather. He had Jesus in his heart, but he was in a hateful church, a judgmental church, and that, that religion was in there, but he still believed in and loved Jesus. So what I know is I've got a whole eternity to spend with my grandfather that is going to just completely blot away. I won't even remember. It won't even be a memory in the back of my mind of being a little boy and experiencing what I experienced. That won't even be a thought. All I'm going to know is I'm going to see him in the full glory of who God created him to be, which I can't imagine because when it came to his faith, he was a mountain of a man with that. So I can't imagine what he's going to be like, but I can imagine I'm going to get to experience that. And it's the same thing for every single one of us. And so I don't know what you have when you're sitting in here today, but I do know this. I know there's a lot of people in here that you've got children or family members that you've been believing for for a long time. And I know that that's hard. I get it. I understand it. But here's what I can tell you, and i just be honest with you, is you can't fix that. You can't bring them back. You can't turn them back on to God if they were ever there. But you can stand on the promises of God and on His Word. In Acts chapter 16, there's a, a situation where Paul was in jail and, and this great earthquake came and it broke the chains off of him and the Roman soldier that came running in scared to death because if they got away, he would be killed. And when he saw that Paul and them were still there and they weren't running away and he understood that God had just freed them, he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, put your faith and your heart in Jesus Christ and not only will you be saved, but your whole household. First time I read that verse, I was the first person, in, I'm my only child, so I say the first person in my family, my mom and dad weren't Christians. I got saved, I read that verse, man, I stood on it. I stood on it for my mom and dad. My mom got saved about five years later. My dad got saved 24 hours before he breathed his last breath. And all through that journey, I can't, I don't know how to explain it to you other than to tell you I just knew it was going to happen. I just did because something about that verse came alive in me. And I was so, so when I would start to fear or doubt, I'd say, God, this is not my problem. You promised this. You said this. You said that not only would I get saved, but my whole household would get saved. And so I'm standing on that. And one of my greatest joys was describing to my dad in the last probably three hours of his consciousness that, Dad, you're getting ready to go to heaven and meet a family you've never met before. Because my mother had had five miscarriages, stillbirths before she had me. I said, you're going to see every one of them kids. I said, when I get there, I've got these, I don't brothers, sisters, I don't know. i got this whole family that I've never experienced. And I said, you're getting ready to go, to, and you're going to meet these people. And you're going to see your dad, because his dad was a Christian. And I said, and you're going to see your granddad, because he was a Christian. All these people, in just that joy of describing that to him. So if you're in here, and you got somebody you're believing for, you just, you stay strong, and you stand on God's word, and you be like Jacob. 
Jacob, whose name would become Israel, when God said to Jacob, I am a God who is faithful to my promises and I have promised to bless you and I will bless you. And that does not depend on you. That depends on me. And you might be in here and you might be facing something that you're like, man, God, I don't see any way out of this. I don't, see, I don't see a way around this. You might be facing something that seems insurmountable. What well, just so happens, there's a man in the Bible by the name of Moses who was following God. He led the children of Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, and God led them right up to an ocean, right up to Folly Beach. Bam! <laughs> Moses is on Folly Beach. He's got all the children of Israel, and the whole stinking army of Egypt is coming. And he's like, God, God what are you doing? Like, what, I, I, what am I supposed We can't build a boat. But God was faithful to Moses. He says, Moses, you can't do anything about this, but I will make a way. He said, you stretch out your hand. And he did, and God literally split the sea so that those millions of Jews could walk across that ocean on dry ground. You might be here, and you might be like Mary. You know who Mary was in terms of standards of this world? She was a nobody from nowhere about as insignificant as you could get in the world's eyes. And that's one thing that I know a lot of people struggle with, is just feeling insignificant, just feeling like your life doesn't matter. But what I love about the story of Mary, the very mother of Jesus, is that God would say to Mary, Mary, you're not insignificant. You're chosen. I have chosen you. And I've got something for you to do. And you can't do it on your own. But I will be with you. And I will strengthen you. And I will lead you. And even through the tough and terrible times, I'm going to be right there with you. Or maybe you're like David. And man, I think we all have this. You know, David was a little shepherd boy who went to where the army of Israel was fighting the Philistines and David's brothers were all fighting. He couldn't fight because he was too young, just a little shepherd boy. And this big old mountain of a man, Goliath, a literal giant, was standing out in the middle of this field just hurling insults at God, like defaming God himself. And David so loved God and it so made him mad and angry that he went and he slayed that giant who was mocking, mocking him and ridiculing him the whole time he was running out there to him. You're going to send this pesky little puny do-nothing little boy to fight me? But how many of us, we don't have the literal giants. Hopefully none of you have a Philistine, you know, nine-foot fiver in your, in your realm of influence. If you do, you need to call to Guinness Book of World Records. But we all have giants, right? We all have the voices in our head that mock us, that ridicule us, that tell you you're never going to be anything, you're never going to amount to anything, and you're never going to change. You're never going to change. You're never going to get married. Your children are never going to come back. Your children are never going to do what you, with the vision that you have for them to do. It's not going to happen. We've all got those giants that just will not stop and will not shut up. And so what we all have to do in this room with whatever it is that you're carrying is we have to do the same thing that every man and woman since the beginning of time has done, and that is we have to call on God. Because that gap that exists between where we are and where we're going to be, Jesus Christ fills that gap. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song, and this song is all about that. It is all about calling on the same God who has delivered so many people 
through all the years of history, and he stands waiting to deliver you if you will just say, God, I need you. So as you head out today, I want to bless you with the awareness of the Arthur Ravenel Bridge. That every time you see that bridge, you're going to remember, man, God's so good. Man, God's got such an awesome plan for my life. I mean, he's so much bigger than I could ever imagine. Some of you are going to get bogged down in life, and you're going to need to drive down the interstate and see that in the distance. Oh, that's right. That's right. God is on my side. Man, I've got this. Some of you, you're going to drive over that bridge angry because it's rush hour in the morning. And God's going to have to remind you, uh, hello, I need you to pray for your enemies. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. God, Lord, I pray for all them terrible drivers that are on the interstate. <laughs> I just pray that God begins to change your perspective and how you see yourself and then give you that same ability to see others the same way same way that God sees you. I bless you with that. Have a great weekend. Enjoy this beautiful weather. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.